inner tube enjoying the scenery. We're going to be swimming upstream. And uh, it's a strong current. So, encourage us. Fortify us. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We, we uh, have had physical food today. We need spiritual food. We need, we need the vitamins and the minerals. We need the, uh, the uh, potassium and the selenium of your word to keep us going. All those trace minerals that we don't even think about. So that's why we're here tonight. We pray that you will make this a, a significant time, a productive time. Uh, we look to Jesus tonight. We focus on him, and we thank you for what he has done and for his sufficiency and for his provision and his care. So we pray these things in his name. Amen. I, uh, I was at Barnes & Noble earlier this week, and I picked up two books. first book was uh, entitled Moon Pie, a biography of an out-of-this-world snack. And it's the history of the moon pie, which was birthed in 1917 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And um, a lot of coal mines around Chattanooga back then. And uh, these guys, the salesmen for this bakery were out and they talked to different guys and they needed a snack they could take into the mines with them. That they could throw in their lunch pail, something to eat after lunch before they broke for, between lunch and dinner. And uh, it had to be, you know, these guys got coal all over them, you know. I mean, it had to be something, one of the miners said, it needs to be something about the size of my fist. And they started playing around. This guy invented the moon pie. Uh, some of you grew up with moon pies. Uh, if you grew up in the South, there's a tradition of moon pies. There's a tradition of, of, of moon pies in RC Cola. Huh? What, what did I say? RC Cola. RC Cola. Is that what they call it? Where, where'd you grow up? Mississippi? Oh, did you live there? Well, I'm talking about America. I'm not talking about <laughs> Mississippi. But a moon pie and RC, RC cola, that's what you do, man. That's pretty good eating, you know? The original moon pie, and some of you guys came here tonight looking for spiritual truth. You can, you're on hold for a minute. Uh, the original moon pie, they came up with a, uh, a graham cracker cookie, two of them, with a marshmallow center, and they dipped them in chocolate. And those guys in the coal mines, could that was their snack. Now, but in 19, I think it was 54, according to the book, which I read diligently and underlined, <laughs> they, uh, they came up with a, with, that's the original moon pie, but now there's a, in fact, I stopped at the store this afternoon looking for an original, I couldn't find it. It was only a double-decker. So here's a double-decker chocolate flavor moon pie. This is the deal right here, right? There you go, there you go. <laughs> See, that's, yeah. Hey, man, do what we can do here. Um, but I'll tell you what, they've expanded. They have banana. 
Banana moon pies. No, you've already had one. Don't, don't give me that. <laughs> this guy back here, let's see what we can. There you go. He wasn't even looking for that, but. And put your chihuahua down, will you? Because that's the wrong. And, and then I discovered this moon pie, which is vanilla. I didn't know they did vanilla. Were you aware of that? We'll just. Uh... There we go. These are, we'll do that. I've always wanted to do that. There you go. So that's the first book I read this week, uh, was Moon Pie. The second book I read, and that I bought at Barnes & Noble, was um, by Christopher Hitchens called God is Not Great. And uh, I will tell you this, Moon Pie is the better book. <laughs> this guy uh, grew up in England, was in schools where every day they read the Bible and had religious training. Uh, chapter 2 is called Religion Kills. He, he's got some legitimate points in here about religion. He really does. Hitchens, I, I have appreciated Hitchens. He's got a lot of guts, and he's willing to say things about uh, world affairs and political correctness that a lot of guys won't say. But um, he, he says this in chapter 2. He says, imagine that you can perform a feat of which I am incapable Imagine, in other words, that you can picture an infinitely good and all-powerful creator who conceived of you, then made and shaped you, brought you into the world he had made for you, and now supervises and cares for you even while you sleep. Well, I don't have any trouble with that at all. And I don't even have to imagine it, because that's our God. And our God, our God is great. He's a great God. Um, here's what we've been doing in the fall. We've been talking, we're talking about events. Events. You say, why are you talking about events? Well, because God's in charge of the events of our lives. And uh, just, just a quick summary of what we've said up to this point. We've been, we've been looking at the Red Sea story, which everybody knows. Everybody knows the Red Sea story. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian. You never walked into a church in your life and you know the Red Sea story. But the Red Sea story is absolutely fortified with truths for us today as we walk through life. The, the Red Sea story is, is very familiar. It's a famous event. We've made the, the, the statement here that whether you have a... a, a a day timer or one of those electric things or whatever you do to plan, you've got for the next year, you've got events marked down. But there are events in your calendar that uh, you don't know anything about that are coming into your life. They are unforeseen events and they are unplanned events by you. But these events have been planned on and foreseen by God and they're coming. There are no random events. There's no coincidence. There's no chance in your life. None. Because because God is in charge of everything, and God has a plan for the ages, and God is a micromanager. God is in the details. The devil is not in the details. God is in the details. Every detail. R.C. Sproul once said that in God's universe, there's not one maverick molecule. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 1.3 says, speaking of Jesus, that he upholds all things by the word of his power. The idea there grammatically is he continuously upholds all things by the word of his power. So the stars are fixed 
Some stars are fixed, some stars are shooting stars, right? But if you're out somewhere in the ocean and you lose your GPS and if you learn basic navigation, uh, you can kind of figure out where you're going because some stars are fixed and if, you, and if the clouds are out of the way and you can see the fixed stars, you can navigate. Well, those stars, why are they there? Because he continuously upholds them by the word of his power. He's in charge of everything. Everything. That's our God. Uh, we're, looking at this, uh, we're looking at this whole thing of the Red Sea. Because what happens to us, uh, you know, the Red Sea was an unforeseen event and an unplanned event in their lives. And by the way, when they first came upon the Red Sea, they were in pretty good shape. Life was going pretty well for them. They had just come out of Egypt. Uh, if you know the history, they'd been there 430 years. Probably the first 100 years or so, they were doing pretty well because the way they got in there, if you read Exodus 1, they got in there from Joseph being the head guy. And he brought his brothers in, and you know that story. But it says later on down in chapter 1, it says, a king arose who didn't know Pharaoh. And these uh, people who uh, had, were Joseph's descendants and relatives, they all came out of the brothers, which were the 12 tribes of Israel. They had this, uh, they had this gated subdivision over there called Goshen. And these people were, I mean, they, they, could, uh, they, they could turn out kids. They, uh, there was something in the water over there in Goshen. And they start growing and growing and growing. And, you know, it gets a little intimidating because they're outnumbering the Egyptians. So there's what some pharaoh at some point said, we better get a grip on this thing and get these people under control. So they, they turned them into slaves. So they'd been there 430 years, and then they're coming out. It's Exodus 14. They're coming out, and uh, as, as we have observed, uh, they were going to go into the promised land. And it's interesting because when Moses led them out, when Moses led them out, they were doing about as well as they had been doing in four centuries. Because if you remember, God sent the plagues because Pharaoh would not let the people go. And the last plague was that he, uh, God, God said through Moses, if you don't let us go, God's going to kill the firstborn. And so the people of Israel made sacrifices and took the blood of the lamb and put it over their doorpost. And as a result, when the angel of death came, he passed over their houses. And the Jews to this day celebrate the Passover. Um, that's where it comes from. Uh, everybody else who didn't have the blood on the door, the angel took their firstborn, including Pharaoh. That's when he let them go. The people were so glad to let them go these Egyptian slaves who had nothing. It had nothing. They had absolutely nothing to their names. The people were so glad, the Egyptian people, for them to go, they took off their bracelets, their gold, their silver, their jewelry. They just gave it all to them and said, get out of here. And so the last thing they did is they were leaving Egypt. Uh, Ten minutes before, they had nothing. Ten minutes later, they were fabulously wealthy for the first time in their lives. So they plundered the Egyptian. Now, here's the deal. And we've got to rehearse this a little bit each time because we've got new guys, and we're just reminding ourselves of the story. Now, they were going to the promised land, which was the land given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, uh, which we call Israel today. They're heading up north. And we mentioned last week, if you look at a map, the straight shot 
to get from Egypt to the Promised Land was just right up the Mediterranean, just right along that coastline. It's kind of a scenic route, you know, and you can pull over into a restaurant, you can sit on the deck and look at the waves coming in. Some of you guys have been there. It's, it's, it's very nice, the Mediterranean. It's a very nice area. But God didn't take them that way. God took them, he took them south and he took them east and he took them down to this Red Sea. And when they first got to that Red Sea and camped, they were really doing well. They were in good shape because, you know, God told them, here's what I'm going to do. When you get to that promised land, not only, not only are you fabulously wealthy now for the first time in your life, and, and, you know, I'm sure as they're camped there, you know, they're online checking their account balances at Charles Schwab. You know, I mean, they got some money now for the first time in their lives. They've never had a thing. They're doing, I mean, they're great. They got a future ahead of them because the Lord said, when I take you to that promised land, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you cisterns you didn't hewn. I'm going to give you crops you didn't plant. Uh, basically, God was going to just pull up a dump truck on them and dump it on them. So life was looking pretty good and life was looking... I mean, it was, it was outstanding. But then, all of a sudden, there's a crisis. God plans crisis. Crisis does not come into our lives by chance. Crisis does not come into our lives just by the luck of the draw. When crisis hits your life, it hits because it is a planned event and a foreseen event from before the foundations of the world. Believe it or not. And some of us, that's, that's new to us. But God is in charge of every situation of your life. Every, nothing is out of his control. Uh, I find it interesting, Hitchens makes a big deal. God is not great. And if you believe in a God who has formed you and fashioned you and that he is a good God and you can trust him with your life and he'll make a way for you, uh, I just can't conceive of a God like that. Uh, I, I got an email this afternoon from a guy that's in this study. And uh, about 3 o'clock, this email came in. How many of you guys were here last week? Let me see your hands. All right, you'll remember that one of the last points I made is that when you're in a crisis... What you do in a crisis, there's a difference between praying and crying out. You cry out when your back's against the wall. You cry out when you're desperate. You cry out when there's no way of escape. You cry out when your life and your existence is on the line. If you weren't here, that was the last point that was made last week. The uh, email says, uh, Steve, I don't often get to attend because of my traveling, but in the last two weeks I've been able to attend in, uh, the Red Sea study. Uh, here's the story. I've been off of work since the middle of June. Uh, that was an unplanned event. This month, October, I would run out of money to meet the everyday expenses. I've had many interviews, but nothing came to fruition. Last Tuesday, I interviewed to be an independent consultant with the company I had retired from in April. Of course, they said they would let me know. Uh, last Wednesday came, and there was no word. Wednesday night at men's Bible study, one of the closing points to ponder was the sons of Jacob crying out to the Lord about their situation. When all else fails and your back is against the wall, cry out to the Lord. So after the end of the Wednesday night study last week, I went out to my truck, and I literally cried out to the Lord. Since it seemed that praying, reading, and meditating about God taking care of those who he loves was not getting the results that I desperately wanted and needed. 
The next day, Thursday, came, and about the middle of the afternoon, I received the call that I was the one they wanted for the project. Thank the Lord for that. But it gets better. The manager asked me if I had received her voice message on my cell phone. Since it's a relatively new phone, I didn't know when a message was waiting, and I usually take the phone off the hook at dinner time. Uh, I asked her when she called. Uh, I asked her when she called. She said sometime around 6 p.m. on Wednesday night. The Lord answered my need before I cried out to Him. Uh, a planned event by Him, with myself doing the unplanned event of crying out to the Lord. Can this be a coincidence? I think not. And then briefly we talked. And he said, I said, thanks for the email. And he gave me permission to read it. He said, hey, I got a postscript to the email. I said, yeah, what's that? He said, well, I just saw the uh, agreement. And it's double the salary with all the benefits. Uh, God is great. God is great. Now, a week ago, this guy who's here tonight was in crisis. And, and he's already shared that with people in his family. He shared it with me. Now you know about it. You see, this is why God leads us. God led these people to the Red Sea. He led them into the crisis. And throughout our lives, God will lead us into situations, and the phone will ring, and our, I, I'm telling you, it, it, our lives are changed immediately. Uh, this is what happened at the Red Sea. Uh, flip over with me, if you have your Bible, to Exodus 14. We saw last week that, uh, that they cried out. Exodus 14. Verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near. Now remember, these people, life's, life's good. Life's sweet. There are two million of them with the, with the wives and kids. They're headed to the promised land. Everything's good. Remember that? Everything's good. Everything's the way they'd like it to be. Do you guys know that there are times, um, there, there are times in life when we see exceptional blessing from God? And we don't want to forget that. There are seasons where that will happen in your life. Now, the Christian life is a hard life. The Christian life is a difficult life. Acts 14.22 says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Um, we, we, are, we are told by certain preachers on television that you should always have uh, you know, plenty of money and you always get a new car and you're always healthy. And you, you know the drill. You know what those guys are doing. They always say the same thing. You, know, you sow your seed into my ministry. You know, you know that whole thing. And, and there's, there's some truth to that. I mean, they're taking a biblical concept that if you give, the greatest financial principle in the history of the world is give and it shall be given unto you. I mean, I mean we got all kinds of guys in here that would attest to that fact, and you've heard it a hundred times, a thousand times, you can't outgive God, and you cannot outgive God. Uh, you give, and it's coming back to you. But you're giving because you love him. You're not, you're not giving him to milk him. It's just the kind of God that he is. Now, now here, here's what happens. There, as we go through life, we go through crises. And sometimes, as Job says, 
Sometimes the Lord gives, and sometimes the Lord takes away. Now see, most evangelical Christians in America believe that when something good happens and uh, they're, they're prospered and there's, uh, life is sweet and life is good, well, that's from the Lord, obviously. But they believe that when there's a crisis and when there's a hardship and when something is taken away, that's from Satan. That's not what the Scripture teaches. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Um, there are seasons, though. There are seasons when God just pours out his favor. I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching somebody right now. I'm just watching them. I've watched them for a long time. Uh, I remember when they weren't even sure there was a God. I, I remember when they were absolutely without purpose. I, I remember when they were um, making a series of bad choices. Um, they were really head down the wrong road. But then they began to respond to the Lord, and they began to uh, make a U-turn. Uh, they made a series of U-turns. You know, that's what repentance is. Repentance is a U-turn. Repentance is you're going the wrong way. Uh, remember Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life. Uh, in Psalm 23, it says, what, in verse 3, he leads me in paths of righteousness. When you're on the broad way, when you're on the path of unrighteousness, and Christ begins to work in your life, well, you're going to have to make some decisions, and it's, going to, and it's going to involve, if you're going to follow Christ with your whole heart, you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart. Well, if you're going to love him with all your heart, you're going to start making some U-turns, because repentance means to be going the wrong way, and to U-turn and start going the right way. Well, I remember watching this individual, and they started making a series of U-turns and following Christ. And, and some of these were tough U-turns to make. What's interesting is, um, and they went through lengthy times of discouragement. You know what's interesting right now? This person is in a season of remarkable favor. Remarkable favor. It's like God is, is backing up a dump truck in their life and just, and, and the dump truck dumps and then another one pulls in behind it. And it's interesting to watch this person because they, all, they, quite frankly, they can't assimilate all the favor that's coming into their lives right now. Have you ever had a time in your life where God just overwhelmed you with his goodness? If you walk with Christ for a while, you have. Now, now the guys, the guys on TV with weird hair, they'll tell you it's supposed to be that way all the time. No, it's not that way all the time. Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble, tribulation. Now, there are seasons when, when he will just, uh, what does Ephesians say? Now, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. Have you ever had God do that for you? I have. It's not every day and it's not every week. There's a place called heaven, and this isn't it. But he's good to us and he sustains us. Now, usually, quite frankly, we're slugging it out. Life's difficult. God provides, but, but we're going upstream and, and we're fighting battles. 
You see? Uh, it was Warren Wiersbe who once said, if God puts something in my hand without first doing something in my heart, it will ruin me. You don't want spoiled kids. I was talking to a guy this week. And, 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 he, and he put his head down and he said, I've ruined my youngest kid. He has no work ethic. He said, I grew up with nothing. And all I do is work. And my kids are set for the rest of their life. But I ruined this one because I gave him too much. And I asked, I said, how old is he? He said, early 20s. So what's he doing? He said, he's finishing up college. I said, when does he get out? He said, May. I said, pull the plug on him. Quick. I said, start pulling the plug now. He said, well, you know, I, 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 I got him an unbelievable job over the summer on a, on a drilling rig. The money was unbelievable, but his mother was afraid he might get hurt. Well, you need to get control of your family. Sorry. But not only is the kid not going to have a work ethic, you're going to feminize the kid. Because when you put within a young man a fear of getting hurt, you're feminizing him. Men are supposed to get hurt. That's why you're a man. Did you realize that? Probably three or four times, I can remember talking with single mothers. Very interesting. At least on three or four occasions, and you guys have heard me, some of you have heard me tell this story before. I've had single women come up to me and say, I have a problem and I need some advice. Said, what's, what's the issue? She said, my son wants to play football. Well, how old's your boy? He's 11, he's 10 whatever. I said, okay, so, so tell me your concern. Well, I don't want him to play football. I said, you're a single mom, right? Yeah. Okay. You don't want him to play football. Why don't you want him to play football? Well, I don't want him to get hurt. I said, okay, that makes sense. Uh, if he plays football, he might get hurt. I go, no, he will get hurt. That's the purpose of football, <laughs> is to hurt the other guy. So he will get hurt. He'll, he, he won't be able to stand up when he's 40 but it's a great game. <laughs> well, I don't want him to get hurt. I said, I know you don't. But here's, I understand your heart here. What you're saying is, you, your husband has left you, I take it. Yeah, he has, and you know, we thought he loved the Lord, but he's away from Christ and living with another woman. And so you're concerned about the influence on your son. I, I said, I, I get that. But do you want your son to grow up and be a godly man? Oh, absolutely. You want him to be married and committed to his wife? Absolutely. So then you need to let him play football. I mean, these, these women are bewildered. I said, here's what it says in Ephesians 5. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus was willing to get pummeled for the church. Jesus was willing to die for the church. Jesus was willing to get flogged for the church. Jesus, Jesus wasn't afraid of getting hurt for whom he loved. And if you instill in your son a fear of getting hurt, 
He can never be that kind of man. Men are supposed to get hurt. Men are supposed to sacrifice. Jesus said, no greater love exists than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. We got cowards. We got cowards who want all the privileges of freedom but don't have the cojones. I think it says in the Greek text. Because <laughs> they don't want to get hurt. Well, we got all kinds of guys that have gotten hurt. We got guys that died at 18 and 19 on the beaches of Normandy. Is this making any sense? How did I get into this? Well, nobody wants to suffer. Well, he might get hurt. I don't want him doing that job. He might get hurt. Listen, you're supposed to get hurt. You're a man. You're supposed to provide for your family. You're supposed to protect your family. You take the shots as Jesus took the shots. Does that make any sense? Uh, we have too much in this country. So we're raising kids with no work ethic, and, and we're afraid they're going to get hurt. I was reading an article this week on the rise and fall of great civilizations. And uh, what's this guy's name, Sir John? I'm going to get it wrong. I didn't plan on saying this. Is it Glubb, G-L-U-B-B? He wrote a remarkable paper back in the 70s on this. And you're familiar with Toynbee and his work and his 12 volumes. But basically, this guy has traced 11 great civilizations. And quite frankly, only one of them has made it past 250 years before they collapse internally. Because they get affluent. And all they want to do is keep their affluence, and no one wants to sacrifice, and no one wants to get hurt, and no one... Anyway. See, that's why God doesn't always make us constantly prosperous. Because constant prosperity and constant affluence and constant ease will kill you. Right? How many of you guys work out? Just curious. You go down to the gym? You ever say to your buddy, hey, let's go down to the gym and suffer? You ever say that? No, you don't say that. You say, let's go down to the gym and work out. Well, what do you do when you work out? You suffer. You suffer. And you do reps, and you, you, you add more weight each time you go back, and you're doing more reps, and, and you know, you're, you're hurting. You're suffering. And when you get done, you've got to take some Tylenol, and, yeah, you know, I mean, that's just how it works. Yeah, hey, you, you want to go down Tuesday night? You want to go down tomorrow and suffer for two hours? Well, we don't say that, but that's what you're going to do because it's on the wall of every weight room in America. No pain, no. Same thing in the Christian life. They're at the Red Sea. Life's sweet, life's good. Look at verse 10. As Pharaoh, we're in 14 of Exodus, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Why'd they cry out? They cried out because of fear. Fear. Sometimes when we encounter the unplanned event and the unforeseen event on our calendars, our immediate reaction is fear. Audrey Hepburn, not Catherine Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn, 1967, came out with a movie called Wait Until Dark. 
Have you ever seen that movie? That movie will scare the crud out of you. It, it really will. Uh, you know what that movie does? The movie tells the story of uh, a lady who comes home to her apartment. Uh, her husband has just returned from a trip to Canada, and a friend asked him to take a package. He didn't know the package had heroin in it. She comes home. Her husband's not home. Oh, by the way, did I mention she was blind? She's blind, and she comes in the house, and there are these three guys waiting for her because they're going to find, they're going to find this, uh, this package. And she walks in the house, and she can't see them, but they're there, and they're standing in the background, and they don't know she's blind, but they begin to figure out real quick she's blind. And this movie starts going along, and it originally was a, a play on Broadway, and it had three acts. And in the third act, they turned out every single light in the theater. And when they showed the movie in 67, at a certain point in the movie, and they would tell you this when you walked in, at a certain point, every, house, every light in the theater went out. And back then, you could smoke in theaters, and they wouldn't allow anybody to smoke. And... This, it, was, it was complete darkness, and there's a guy with his butcher knife coming after this gal, Audrey Hepburn, who's blind. And I'm telling you something. You talk about fear. How many of you guys saw that movie? Yeah. We're talking wet your pants fear. <laughs> it's sort of like the first time you saw Jaws. You remember that? My gosh. I saw that in Tucson, Arizona with a friend of mine. This guy is calm. This guy is steady. This guy has never been up. He's never been down in his whole life. He's, just, he's actually kind of dull. He's just kind of, that's him. He's just sort of like that. And he's not real emotive. And by the third time you started hearing the music, you know that? About the third time. You knew it was coming. I mean, you're just sitting there. And this guy, this guy is very sane. This guy was a pastor of a church. This guy stood to his feet and yelled to the screen, get out of the water. I mean, top of his lungs. He was totally out of control. He was completely out of control. Because he was absolutely gripped by fear. <laughs> That's how that Audrey Hepburn movie was. I'm telling you, you gotta go rent that movie. That just it'll freak you out. The fear. I mean, the, the directors who could do that were amazing. I mean, now they got these horrible, violent slasher movies. You know, that's, I won't even, I've never watched one of those things. I don't want that. But the guys that are good, they don't have to show you the violence. They just scare the crud out of you with the suspense, right? Okay. When these unplanned events show up sometimes, it's that kind of fear. And, and you know what? It's not a movie, it's life. It's your life, and you're threatened. What do you do with that? What do you do when, and let me ask you something. When, when you get real fearful, how do you react physiologically? 
How do you respond to, to fear? I mean, I'm talking serious fear. Everybody's a little different. How do you react? I break into a sweat. Um, some guys get cold. Other people, I'm just curious. Uh, give, me, give me some reactions. Different. When you get really fearful, what's your physiological response? Somebody tell me. Panic? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, heart rate goes up? Sure. What else? You tremble? Somebody said what over there? Freeze? Yeah, you get, yeah. Oh, you freeze. You just, yeah. yeah you just freeze. Yeah, you just shut down. See, I, that's the kind of fear I'm talking about. This is how these people were. Now catch this. Because see, we can read this story and we go over it, you know. They're at the Red Sea, everything's good. And all of a sudden, somebody goes, hey, 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 hey. And they turn around, and here comes Pharaoh's army. And let me tell you something. It was over. It was done. All that money was going back. Those Rolexes were being returned. All the, you know, the land, the land, the seed, the blessing. I mean, it's over. They're going back for another 400 years of slavery. And I'm telling you something. Some of them froze. Some of them started sweating. The heart beats. I mean, this is the fear these people were experiencing. Now, here's the deal. What do you do when you're a Christian? And these unforeseen events come into your life, and you get the phone call. I mean, it's going to happen to somebody this week, because it's just how life works, this many guys. What do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you're just trying to get your wheels under you. Because it just, I mean, it just knocks you for a loop. It's just, you're just blindsided. The hardest I ever got hit in my life playing football was on a kickoff. Oh, this, there were two times, but this was right at the top. Uh, it was on a kickoff, and I'm going down that sideline. I, I was the guy on the sideline. And I'm going down that sideline, and there's that kid right over there uh, from Hillsdale High School. And I'm going down that sideline. And this kid, is, he gets by a few guys, and, and he's not getting around me because I'm on the sideline. And this sucker makes his cut, and I start honing in on this sucker. And I'm telling you something, I was going to take that sucker's chest cavity and collapse it. <laughs> he's coming right at me. I mean, I had a beeline on this sucker, and I mean, I thought, this, I mean, this is ESPN. And it didn't even exist then, ESPN. <laughs> but it was in my head for some reason. And I've got this kid, I got him zeroed in, and, I, and he cut, and I'm getting ready to cut. And I'm about four yards from this guy, and I'm getting ready to launch on this sucker. And I'm going to tell you, the next thing I knew, I was in orbit. <laughs> I, never, I never saw it. And I mean, I got blindsided, like I've never been blindsided in my life. Knocked the crud out of me. I never did, I never did figure out who hit me. But somebody put a block on. I never saw it coming. And the next time I went down on a kickoff, <laughs> I wasn't real effective. I sort of lost my focus. Because you don't want to get hit like that again. You don't want to get hurt like that again, right? See, fear, in other words, what happened was, see, here's the deal with fear. Fear is a force. Fear is real. Anxiety is a force. 
And, and what it can do is it can paralyze you. It can control. And, and, and here, look, when, when, when the fear that these people felt, what does it say here? Uh, as, Pharaoh, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They became very frightened so that the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, not all of them cried out to the Lord, saying, Jesus, help me, as, as we would say. Say, Lord, Lord, help me. See, some of them did and some of them didn't. Because they went, well, these are the people of Israel. Well, not all the people of Israel love God, right? You know that because a few weeks later, 10 of the top guys, 10 of the leaders are going to do a reconnaissance mission and come back and say, we can't take these guys. And they just come through the Red Sea. They weren't even believers. Now, they had all the marks. They had big Bibles. They'd been the promise keepers and bought a hat. I mean, they looked like they were the real thing. But they weren't the real thing. So how do you know that? Well, look what some of them said in verse 11. Then they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Oh, that's a great response. Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die out here in the wilderness. We didn't even want to come out here, Moses. Does that strike you as someone that loves God? I don't think so. Just like, you know, in Texas. We got all kinds of people go to church. We got all kinds of people that have been in church all their lives. But they don't love him. They're just church people. They're cultural Christians. They have no interest in following Christ and the man on the moon. You know what I'm talking about. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Well, some people in Israel did. Others didn't. All right, now what do you do? Here's the deal. What do you do when fear comes into your life and threatening situations that are out of your control come into your life? As a believer, what do you do? Watch what Moses says here. Moses said to the people, do not fear. Does that make sense to you? Sometimes the Bible is a little strange, don't you think? I mean, was this not a situation that warranted fear? Yeah. See, there is a fear. Hey, hey, guys, there are two kinds of fear. There's, there's, there's normal physiological fear when you're threatened by something that can overwhelm you and take your life. But there's also what's known as the fear of the Lord. Fourteen times the book of Proverbs talks about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fear the Lord, fear the Lord, fear the Lord. Our God is an awesome God. He rules from heaven above. How great is our God? Sing with me. No, don't do that. <laughs> but is that not a great song? How great is our God? Sing with me, how great. I, you know, I drive around singing that song sometimes. I just, how great is our God? You think that's funny? <laughs> I do, man. I'll be in the truck. Because sometimes, you know what? You know what? See, I, listen, let me tell you something. When stuff happens in life, Joe Aldrich used to say, you got two options. You can worship or you can worry. Those are your options. 
And so here's what happens. When, 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 when these events happen that threaten us, you know what we tend to do? We tend to panic. But, 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 but how do you, what did Moses say? He says, do not fear. How many times in the Bible does it say, fear not? How many sermons have you heard on that? Fear not. This is why he says to them, yeah, 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 I know. They're behind, and the sea's in front, and there's no way out, and the mountains are out. There's no, there's no getting out of here. And what does he say to them? He says, do not fear. Well, what does he say next? Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Now, in this situation, God was going to handle it right then. For the Egyptians who you've seen today, you will never see them again forever. Now watch this. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Now, this is interesting to me. Then the Lord said to them, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Now, I want you to catch. Last week we talked about the difference between prayer and crying out. There's a time when you're desperate, you cry out to God. But as you're crying out, you say, well, I'm in a panic situation. What do I do? You cry out to God, and then you keep doing what you know you're supposed to do. You keep moving. You keep being responsible. You, you keep doing what has clearly been set out by God for you to do, even as you're threatened. You keep doing the right thing. You keep following Christ. There is a there are three psalms that, to me, quite frankly, they're, they're almost like a moon pie. Because the first one I want to show you is the marshmallow. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm um, 56. And then we're going to look at 55, and then we're going to look at 57. What, what do we do in our lives when crisis, when fear comes into our lives? When, when, when something that, that you did not see coming came into your life and you got blindsided. What, what do you do in this situation? Look at, uh, look at Psalm 56. You, you know, guys, I had a guy tell me about two weeks ago. This is really interesting. Uh, this, this guy was talking to this guy, and this guy, this guy is really starting to make strides with the Lord. Now, he's been in church since he was this high. Been in Bible teaching churches. But when he was in college, he, uh, he was just a flat-out fornicator. And then he married a Christian gal. Of course, he's a Christian. And he kept fornicating. Keep sleeping with chicks, and he's got this sucker's got a history of affairs. And um, a while back, he, uh, I was doing a conference somewhere, and anyway, his wife had been praying and that he'd come to this conference I was doing. And she got in touch with me, and she said, "I think he's going to be there." And he, he. he uh, I did the conference. And interestingly enough, they were going to some counseling, and some Christian counselor said, he said, I think I'm going to go to this conference for ours. And the guy says, don't go, no, don't, don't go to that. He 
said, why shouldn't I? He said, well, he's, he's, he's too strong. And you don't need that right now. So the guy told him. A little wuss counselor. <laughs> anyway, that's what, he, that's what he was told. Well, and so the, the wife was all excited. I think I mentioned this last year. And uh, I think he's going to be there. So I did the conference. I never saw the guy. And I thought, boy, she's going to be brokenhearted. And I saw her a little bit later that week. And I thought, oh, man, i got to tell her he wasn't there. And she said, he was there. And I said, what? She said, he was there. I said, you're kidding me. She said, no. And he came home Friday night. And he knocked on the door late, and he asked me to forgive him. And I said, you're kidding. I was in shock. I never saw the guy. It's been interesting to watch this now for the last four or five months. I was talking to this guy two weeks ago. And you know what he said to me? We were talking. And, I, and, and he was always real reticent and always kind of laid back because he was guilty. He, he had all this load of guilt, and he should have been guilty. But he, he, he had a sparkle in his eye. And, he, and they're going to a small group deal with some other couples. And I've gotten some feedback that he's really setting the tenor for the group because of his honesty and his transparency. And he's coming clean with other people. And so other people are being honest. And we're, I'm talking to this guy, and you know what he says to me? He, sa he says, you know what? He said, he said, you know what's happening to me? He said, to, he said, I'm taking this truth. He said, I've always been a church. He said, I'm taking this truth, and I'm applying it to my life. Is that not amazing? He, you're sitting there going, well, what's the big deal about that? You're supposed to apply it to your life. He never got that. He's never done that in his life. He's known truth. Guy's been going to Bible studies, and he's sleeping with women. See, there's a disconnect. He, he's, what did James says? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be. We're supposed to take truth and apply it. When it comes to fear and threatening situations, there's a point where God wants us to grow up. See, your issue may not be immorality. Your, your issue just may be flat-out unbelief. And what God wants us to do is, God wants me to learn to trust in Him. Well, how do I learn to trust in him? By him leading me into threatening situations, and then he makes a way for me, and it builds my faith so that the next time the threatening situation comes, my faith is stronger. And watch, watch this in Psalm 56. Look at verse 3. This is why we keep going through stuff, guys. This is why we go through the things we go through. Watch this. When I am in afraid, when I am afraid, this is the marshmallow now. This is 56, we're going to be in 55 and then 57. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. And now remember the people back in Exodus 14? Were they praising God? They were saying, why'd you bring us out here? We told you we didn't want to come. We wanted to be back there. And That's not praise. That's not a right heart. Watch this. When I am afraid. And the next time you get afraid, here's what you do. You go, Lord, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. This scares the crud out of me. But Lord, would you help me to trust you here? Help me help slow down my heart rate. Just help me to get my wheels under me here. Help me not to think emotionally. 
help me to think biblically here. Don't, don't, let, me, don't let me panic. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say that in the Christian life, faith is a refusal to panic. When everything in you says panic, what you do is, I'm not panicking. Uh, when I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? Now, let me ask you something. What can mere man do to you? Nothing outside the plan of God. They can't touch you apart from God because God's in control of everything. Is that not true? Now watch this. Now here's the, here, here's the central idea here in verse 9. I got it, Lou. Thanks. Look at, verse, look, at, look at verse 9. This I know that God is for me. Do you know that? Do you know that he's for you? Have you asked Christ to come into your life? Have you given him your life? Are you listening to him? Are you following him? All right, then guess what? He's doing a work in your life. Now, now, here's what you need to know. This I know that God is for me. And if you know that God is for you, and who is your God? He's a great God then what that does immediately is that that begins to diminish the panic. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God is for me. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I remember studying. You know what? This is not an accident in my life. God knew about this. You know what? God planned this. Hold on. Wait a minute. God's in charge of this. We talked about this. This I know that God is for me. Now go up to 56. 56 is sort of the, uh, the, the, the chocolate-covered graham cracker on the, on the one side. Look at this. Look at uh, 22. I mean a 55. 55, 22. Uh, familiar words. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. If you have a New American Standard Bible, and it's a great Bible, because they'll give you these nuances that are in the original. And if you look in your margin, you'll read it this way. Cast what he has given you upon the Lord. Say, what? Think about that. You're in a crisis, right? Unforeseen, unplanned, it's threatening. All right, how'd you get to that crisis? Well, he gave it to me because he's in control of every area of my life. Did not God lead them to the Red Sea? Yes. Why did God lead them to the Red Sea? to make a way and show his greatness. Cast, this is where what we believe about God is critical, guys. Cast what he has given you. You say, but Steve, I'm here because of my sin and all that. Do you think God didn't know before the foundations of the world that you were going to make lousy choices? Sure he did. But that was all folded into his plan. I don't care how you got there. You're there because he's led you there. Because he's in charge of, I, I don't know if, I, I don't think I'm getting a cross for some reason. Uh, you guys are looking at me like you're, is this making any sense at all? See, you got to think biblically here. You can't think emotion. You got to say, wait a minute, cast what he has given you upon him. That, that doesn't make any sense unless he's in charge of everything in your life. Wait a minute, I can cast this on you, Lord, because you gave it to me in the first place. Does that make sense? Then look at uh, uh, 57. Look, look at 57, verse... Verse 2, and here it is again. I will cry out to God, most high, 
to God who accomplishes what? All things for me. The, the Puritans used to have this idea, nuanced translation. I will cry out to God, now catch this, to God who is the transactor of all my affairs. He's in charge of everything in my life. So if I'm in a crisis, it's because God has led me to the crisis. And then, and then, but, but see, if you don't believe God's in charge of your life, how many of you guys believe? And see, I can't remember. I can never remember what I've said where because I'm in too many places. But how many of you guys believe God has a plan for your life? Okay. And how many of you guys believe you're predestined? We lost a few. A lot of guys don't like predestination. You know what predestination means? It means God has a plan for your life. Sure, you, you can't go to heaven unless you're predestined. Read Romans 8.29. God, God, God's got your life wired. Now watch this. Watch this. Because here they are. They're at the crisis. They cry out to God. Look at 57.2. I'll cry to God most high. To God who is the transactor of all my affairs. To God who accomplishes all things to me. Watch this. He will send from heaven and save me. That's what God does. So, next time you get in fear and you're threatened, what do you do? You got to start chewing on the Word of God. You got to start living off the promises. You can't think emotionally, and it, it, take, and it takes a little time, but you got to get your wheels on. You go, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. I'm crying out to God, to God who accomplishes all things for me. And by the way, by the way, then start asking yourself, look, it, have I ever been in a threatening circumstance before in my life? Have I? Yeah. All right, then start. Listing them in your head. What was the last one I was in? Well, I was in that deal three years ago, and I didn't think there was any way I was going to make it. And what happened? Well, I made it. All right, well, before, what about before then? And before then? And before? And start going back through the times God has led you to a crisis and made a way for you. Does this make sense? Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. He will send from heaven and save me. There's your antidote to fear. It's easy to preach about. But this is where we apply our faith. Remember the disciples get in the boat with Jesus? Real quick and I'm done. They get in the boat with Jesus. And Jesus is exhausted. Why? Because it's been an unbelievable day of ministry. He's been healing people right and left and they're pumped and they get in the boat and they're going to, Jesus goes to sleep. And then they start heading across that sea, and all of a sudden this storm comes up, and this was a storm. These guys have been on this sea so many times. But this storm was like no storm they'd ever seen before. And they begin to think, hey, you know what? We're not going to make it. We are not going to make it. We're not going to survive. And they woke Jesus up. And they said to him, in their panic and in their fear, they said, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Well, what's the answer to that? Does he care that they're perishing? Yes. But they're not thinking logically. They're thinking emotionally. Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? And what did Jesus do? Jesus got up in the threatening circumstances. Jesus spoke to the storm, and it was instantaneously quiet. Instantaneously. There was utter calm. It was utter stillness. And then who were they afraid of? 
their great God. Oh, and then Jesus looked at them, and you know what Jesus said to them? Jesus said, where is your faith? Shoot, it was here when I got on the boat. Gosh, you know what? I think I left it over there on the shore. I'll get it back. He will send from heaven and help me. We got one guy in here last week that had to get in his truck and cry out to God. And what did Jesus do? He sent from heaven and saved him. Double. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Would you help us to apply this? Would you help us? You've not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and love and sound thinking. The power of the Holy Spirit changes everything. You can do anything at any moment and change our circumstances in a nanosecond. You know where we are. You know exactly where we are. You led us there. And you love us. This I know that God is for me. I know it. So you want us to think soundly in the crisis. And you want us to trust and watch you work for us. Enable us to do that. And not give in the fear and panic we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.